Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Putting STEM into the classroom. Hi there, and welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Woods, and as always, we look for ways to add some STEM to your everyday classroom. With us is Marion Leary. Welcome. You're listening to Steamrollers, a new segment of the STEM Everyday Podcast, where we will feature women who are paving the way in science, technology, engineering, art, and math, discussing their work in a way that makes it accessible to the everyday listener. I'm your host, Marion Leary. Today I'm talking with Dr. Michelle Johnson, Assistant Professor of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and Assistant Professor in the Department of Bioengineering. She's also the Director of the Rehabilitation Robotics Lab at Penn, developing innovative technologies to transform lives. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I saw you speak at TEDx Philadelphia recently and was very excited by the work you're doing. Can you describe to our listeners the work you do with the Rehabilitation Robotics Lab at Penn? Sure. So our focus is um, both on the medicine side and on the engineering side. And our idea is to look at how technology can assist the rehabilitation process. And our idea is to assist both in the assessment of people with disability and, you know, my passion started with stroke and looking at individuals with stroke and how they've had disabilities after the stroke and then seeing how the technology, especially robot technology, that is a technology that you can make more intelligent by the way you program them, how we can use this technology to try to understand, to quantify, and to give insight into how people recover after a neurological injury such as stroke. Since then, we've done cerebral palsy and other types of disability, and we kind of use it to um, try to drive the process if possible and to bridge the gap between kind of where we're going in terms of, you know, resources and what we think technology can add to, um, to the medical field. And how did you get interested in robotics? Wow. <laughs> so it's a good question. Um, I really began my interest in engineering. So as an undergrad, I did my um, bachelor's degree at the University of Penn, actually in mechanical engineering. And I've always been interested in both the science and the medicine side. And um, But I kind of decided to go towards more the engineering side and Graduate in um, undergrad, excuse me. And when my, I always tell the story that when my grandmother had a stroke in um, the early 90s, I began, I, it was at the same time that I began like a master's program in robotics. And for me, you know, when, when you hear about robotics the first time, I've always loved Star Wars, you know, R2D2, all those things, but I'd never actively studied it. And when I began to actively study it, I really discovered this area where it's the use of technology for people with disability and it really, I began when I, to really investigate this area when my grandmother had the stroke and I was confronted with this idea of disability and just saw how technology could help and then that actually led to my PhD in the, this in mechanical engineering with this focus on robotics and 
with this cross-disciplinary focus that kind of puts me back in the biomedical engineering in the research area of medicine and rehab and thinking how we could use our engineering to impact this area. So you mentioned Star Wars, and I also am a, a huge Star Wars and also Star Trek geek. And so when I think of robotics, I think of those two um, you know, shows. So I'm wondering, though, where do you think robot, the field of robotics is going? Do you think we'll get to the point where we have those types of robots, you know, walking around, interacting, working with us? I think that's our dream. <laughs> Every roboticist, including myself, are we're dreaming about the day when we would have more of a seamless kind of integration in society. I always want to caution people that most people are not thinking of robots to replace um, anyone, but to augment the gaps that we might have in our service industry, in our medical industry, in various industries. So when I think about my one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars is when um, probably one of when uh, R2D2 you know, <laughs> starts um, um, interfere in you know driving his uh, Luke Skywalker's uh, plane or that scene where Luke, um, Darth before he became Darth Vader and he loses his arm and the and the we we put the the hand back together and he becomes a, a has a prosthetic limb that has a neuro prosthetic interface. I think we're moving and dreaming about having this Star Wars, Star Trek-esque uh, society um, where we're able to capitalize on technology. Are we there yet? No. Are we on our way? I would say yes. We've, we, People like myself are dreaming and thinking and researching and looking at how we can actually build this type of technology. We're still in the infancy stage, though. We haven't, our, our reality hasn't caught up to our dreams. <laughs> and so, well, we're, we're, we're still dreaming and we're still researching. So I think given those combinations and bright young minds to come along and dream and, and innovate with us, I think we will be able to get there ultimately. Well, this might just be my naivete, but um, at the TEDx Philadelphia event, you had a robot by the name of low with you, and she seemed, you know, quite dynamic. Um, can you describe um, first how you came up with her name and then what she does and, um, you know, describe her for our listening audience? Okay. So Flow um, actually is, we, we call the system Flow after my grandmother. Her name was Florette. And it, it kind of is an ode to everything I do, which is to make sure that what we're doing helps people like my grandmother who did pass away as a result of her stroke. So Flow is a, is a combination robot. It's actually a system that's built of two existing commercial systems. And I'll give a shout out to those systems because, you know, when we call it flow, we, we, we may, it's a way to speak about the concept. Um, so it's made up of the now robot, which is an actual existing robot from Alderaan, and you can buy that robot. And that robot is a, is a small trunk-type humanoid is the one that we purchased. And the idea is that you could program that robot to be interactive and to do social-type things, to talk and to respond and to use its cameras in its eyes and the sensors in its body 
to um, create uh, the effect of, of, of this conversation, this social interaction. So we placed that robot on top of a, a another commercial robot platform called the Vigo, and the Vigo platform was a mo is a is a mobile robot platform where you can have like what we call telepresence. That means you could be in a remote location, like another a room across the hall, and uh, this robot can be in um, a room in a secondary room, or maybe visiting a friend down the hall, or or in a hospital room and you are at the nursing station. But anyway, the idea is that this robot could be virtually in present for you, could make you virtually in present. So the robot stands in for you as an avatar and you can then see uh, through a screen, like a Skype, you know, almost like having a Skype conversation remotely, but the Skype conversation is managed through the robot screen. So Flow, the concept for Flow was this mobile robot helper that would be able to, using these kinds of ideas with the humanoid and the telepresence mobile features, be able to provide assistance um, at a distance, be able to allow people to monitor their loved ones that after disability, and also be able to provide social interaction um, in terms of like a mobile robot assistant. So this is the concept that we were playing with, and and Flow represents the prototype of this idea um, that we wanted to advance. Uh, so that's kind of where the robot came from. So I'd like to give my daughter a chance to ask my guest question. She's nine going on ten and is very interested in science and technology. And she wanted to know what the most sophisticated robot was that you ever built. And I'm just wondering, is Flow that robot? Oh, interesting. So I would say Flow is the robot that we have put together in the sense of we have um, capitalized on existing commercial systems to create the entity of Flow. I wouldn't say that Flow is the most sophisticated robot we've built. It's the most complex in that when you look at the system and you imagine the now robot that we've programmed, so someone else built the now, someone else built the Vigo, and together we create the persona of Flow. I would say that from that perspective, it's, it's been challenging. But we've actually tackled, um, more from an engineering point point of view, more complex systems um, in terms of for therapy. Uh, but from a social point of view, I would say um, the concept of flow represents something quite um, sophisticated. <laughs> so yeah, you know, if we, if we think of it in those two uh, two two places, never ask a, a professor a simple question. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> And what role, if any, does art play in robotics? Are you looking more at the aesthetics of the robot or more of the functionality or combination? I would say a combination. You must look at both because people, um, I would say, the, you know, the role of an engineer oftentimes is we deal with, I always tell my, my students and that they must think of both the aesthetics as well as the function. And, and when you talk to people who design, you often hear that. It's just as much, just as important how it looks and what what type of mood it evokes as well as the fact that it works. Uh, so I don't think we can ever um, separate the two ideas. 
people like to interact with things that make them comfortable. They like things that give them insight into how to use them. There's a great book called The Design of Everyday Things, and I, I was influenced that, by that book as a young engineer. And what I liked about that concept was every the way we design things, we should embody things with kind of like what they should do, you know, and they should evoke something. Like if you see a knob, you should know how to turn it. <laughs> so, um, so that idea of function and aesthetics, I would say, come together. The role art plays is I think art gives us an, an opportunity to imagine something different and to be creative. And I do think that the not every robot has to look like the flow concept or the now concept or a humanoid. It, you can use art and design to create something different that would still be beautiful and would even be also with the function and engineer it to also be now interesting and functional and provide, you know, a use that is in medicine or rehab, et cetera. So I think art has a, a role to play. I, for one, like to work with product designers and because I think the aesthetics of how it looks is as important as the engineering that I put in behind it. So that's a great lead-in to my next question. So you're in the School of Medicine at Penn, correct? Yes. So I would imagine a lot of collaboration takes place with other departments in school, service, engineering, design, like you just mentioned. Can you discuss what goes into building the robot and what different partners you have to work with, include, and think about? Yeah. Um so being in the School of Medicine, so as I said, my engineer, my degree is in engineering, but I sit in the School of Medicine, and it's because our direction and our application area is medicine. So we often start with the idea of what is the problem that we're trying to work with, and this pulls on people who are MDs, you know, doctors, therapists, people who are occupational therapists, physical therapists, to talk about the problem of stroke, to talk about the issues that are involved in a particular problem, and the issues in rehab, for example, because that's my area. And then when we start putting our heads together and what is the problem and how can engineering help to solve it, then we pull in, my, my lab consists of engineers from a lot of different fields, the bioengineers who will, you know, look at the system base and how the human factor uh, might be involved, might be more the integrated product design uh, students, or uh, when we think about the, com the programming of it, then there are the computer scientists who are thinking. The mechanical design engineers are also thinking about the product itself. What should the body look like? How would we design the, the you know, what should be the, the, the function of the body? What should be the support? things like that. Um, when we think about then the electrical engineer, we're thinking about the sensors. We're thinking about how do we um, you make a, a small computer, how do we miniaturize the electronics so that this thing can move around by itself. So as you can see just by naming, I think I must have named like 10 different disciplines <laughs> that might go into the construct of this robot. And every discipline brings to it 
something unique to the process of robotics. And robotics is a complex, very multidisciplinary field. And in many ways, you need a piece of all the puzzles to do what we're doing, which is definitely trying to straddle this engineering and health fence. And as a result, I think we must and we must encourage and grow our like next generation of students to think in this very multidisciplinary collaborative manner because the problems are quite complex and we must have we must learn to speak or to um translate across the different schools, right? <laughs> One of the things, this just came up recently and acronyms, even simple things like um you know, we take for granted, oh, yes, we, we use muscle sensors, EMG sensors to measure activity in the muscle. And a colleague of mine who don't work with body sensors said, oh, what's that? You know, so it's like you take for granted when you're in one side that you understand the lingo. But in order for us to, to design at this crossroad, we must kind of learn each other's languages, right? And so a lot of things go into the process of building a successful medically applied robot. Hopefully that answered your question. Definitely. And, you know, this podcast is specifically geared towards teachers and students. And so it's good for students to hear that just because you end up with um, a degree in one specific area, it's not siloed, and you have to be able to collaborate and work with other disciplines, and, you know, the possibilities are endless if you do that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's the next generation of students that we, we need to grow, is the students that are comfortable in this space. And also, I would even add, um, my, my lab is very much focused on being global in our application of robotics and looking at affordable robot systems. And that requires also students willing to be global, you know, um, willing to kind of be comfortable understanding not just issues and problems that are local to Philadelphia or local to Pennsylvania or local to America, but also look problems that are maybe worldwide <laughs> and, and, and tackling problems that might be similar but different because they're in Mexico and kind of getting getting better at being more culturally and globally aware that we share across the world similar issues and how do we how what we the solutions that we come up with in America how can we morph them to be able to impact solutions maybe in Mexico or how do we collaborate with Mexican engineers and Mexican physiatrists and Mexican doctors to share information. So those are, that's a kind of another level as well to think about collaboration. Definitely think locally, act globally. Yes, therefore. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> so, you know, we're in Philadelphia. I'm talking to you. You're a robotics expert. I, I have to get your thoughts on the current Hitchbot scandal rocking Philadelphia right now. That is the robot that got torn apart, unfortunately, by some vandal. Um, it is kind of sad. It, you know, as a scientist, you wanna you wanna believe that your experiments can be there and not be destroyed. Um, and uh, you know, but again, it's a lesson to learn from a science and an experiment point of view that you cannot predict <laughs> what will happen during an experiment. <laughs> so, 
it was a social experiment, and I think it all plays in. <laughs> it all plays in. It's a, I think we will, It's we have to say it's a lesson learned. We must anticipate the things that we can't anticipate. So who would have thought that, you know, the, the robot would have basically been torn apart? But that is, it's a social experiment. And in many ways, it's reality. That could have happened to a real person as well. Hitchhiking is a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> and not that I'm advocating violence, absolutely not. I, you know, it, in an ideal world, being a scientist myself, I would like my experiments to go off without a hitch. But the reality is, this is a reality. <laughs> in that hitchhiking is dangerous, and this is what one of the instances of things that can happen while you hitchhike. <laughs> Well, hopefully the Philly community will uh, resurrect its spot. Yes, I, I really was. Um, I found, you know, in, in the good and the bad side of things, I really felt just happy to hear that people are reacting in this manner to let's put this robot back together and let's help the experiment go on. So I think that's that's the, the rallying point that I think we need to take away from it. Things happen, but then we can also come back together and move on. <laughs> Definitely, focusing on the good. <laughs> focusing on the good and not letting, not letting, and that's actually a life lesson in itself, is not letting, you know, things um, that you didn't anticipate derail your process or your progress. I always tell my students that all the time is um, research and dealing with the unexpected is a part of the process of research and we um, just roll with the punches. When the experiment doesn't work, then we stop, we ask ourselves why and we redesign it. We don't, you know, we don't stop. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, um, at the robotics lab, where could they find out more? Well, we have, you know, there are a couple of different ways. They can um, go to the School of Medicine site and just Google, you know, my name and Google our lab. They could go to the GRASP website. The GRASP is the um, general robotics center that's at Penn. They could go to the GRASP website, and that's in the School of Engineering, and they can go through there as well. They can also just... Um, uh, call or email, we have a website so they can just kind of look up Penn Rehab Robotics and there's our contact information there. Lots of ways to connect with us. We have um, active experiments, so for those out there who are uh, living with stroke and are interested in, you know, helping us uh, investigate a variety of different disabilities like cerebral palsy, if you're living with cerebral palsy and you want to participate in our studies, just just pick up the phone, call us, um, jump on our website, send us email, um, any any of those things. We'd be uh, happy to hear from you. Well, Dr. Michelle Johnson, thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been quite a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Marianne. You're listening to this podcast on the Instant Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.